Hello, welcome to the Cosmic Eye Show. It is Sunday. I'm Jason Napolitano, and on the line, Mr. Chris Sheridan. What's up, Chris? It's all good. Good to hear. Good, to hear. Well, good or not, it all is, right? <laughs> that's it all a, it is. That's that's my new slogan. I like that. I like that. It's very Buddhist, and so that will be a good uh, start for our our show today. Um, welcome to our show. We appreciate you guys being here. It's Sunday night. Thanks for joining us. Um, we have a show also on Friday, of course, our Fox Friday show. So if you haven't heard that one, do check that out. Uh, we're at uh, anchor.fm slash cosmic eye if you'd like to make a donation. Chris's book is The Spirit and Sky and Minds. If you can worry, you can meditate. All right, today we are going to talk about a Buddhist sutra. Uh, in Pali, this is known as Salata Sutta, uh, the arrow. And we're entitling this talk, The Second Arrow the second arrow. Uh, so we'll get into that and why this is important and how it can help you in a moment. Uh, we'll kind of outline this and explain what this is all about. And then Chris has got something to say, and then we'll kind of just jump into the discussion of it. So as I said, this is a, this is a Buddhist sutra uh, from his original teachings. Well, this was translated from the Pali. Uh, Pali was the original language that uh, these scriptures were written in, and then they were, they're more commonly known in Sanskrit. Uh, Tibetan Buddhism, of course, is in Tibetan and Sanskrit, and that's probably the most, uh, uh, most commonly known uh, Buddhism in the U.S. these days is Tibetan-style Buddhism. But this is from the old school kind of um, Southeast Asian Buddhism of, of Thailand and uh, Burma and so on. Uh, so this is... Uh, a, an instruction that he's giving to his disciples. Um, and it really the emphasis, of course, is on this, this idea of the second arrow. So what happens is, I'll just read the beginning of this so you can get a, a feel for the language that he's using, and then we'll kind, of, we'll kind of paraphrase it. So Buddha says to his monks, Monks, an uninstructed run-of-the-mill person feels feelings of pleasure, feelings of pain, feelings of neither pleasure nor pain, a well-instructed disciple of the noble ones also feels feelings of pleasure, feelings of pain, feelings of neither pleasure nor pain. So what's the difference? So, excuse me. So what difference, what distinguish, what distinction, wow, sorry. What distinguishing factor is there between the well-instructed disciple of the noble ones and the uninstructed run-of-the-mill person? For us, Lord, the teachings have the Blessed One as their root, their guide, and their arbiter. It would be good if the Blessed One himself would explicate the meaning of the statement, having heard it from the Blessed One, the monks will remember it. So the monks are wanting him to, to talk about it. Basically, it's a story of how when someone is shot with an arrow, there are, there are really, there are two pains. And so the first arrow is, is let's say you're, you're, you're shot with an arrow of of uh, a death of a loved one or a disappointment or an actual physical pain, uh, an illness or, a, uh, or something of this nature. Uh, then the second arrow is as if you would shoot an arrow um, into yourself, essentially. So it's the, the second arrow, really, that is the one that we have the most control over, in essence. And it's the one that's a bit more deadly. It's this emotional arrow. It's this arrow of pain that we inflict on ourselves, that we shot into ourselves. Uh, carrying around this pain or ruminating on this pain or uh, creating an idea of vengeance in ourselves that you know and, and nursing that vengeance to get back at the person who wronged us or or whatever it is that that's in essence the the, the second arrow the second arrow and that's what we're going to talk about today so chris can you add a little bit to that sure um 
Well, I'll just lay out a couple of quotes. Uh, one goes, in life, we can't always control the first arrow. However, the second arrow is our reaction to the first. The second arrow is optional. Uh, and this goes with another one that pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. Those mm. are words taken from the, the sutra, but, um, you know, kind of popularized or paraphrased. Um, but it's when, if somebody does something wrong, uh, betrays you in some way, um, if you are victimized, uh, that may be true, but if you carry that around and you wear it like a badge and you identify yourself as being somebody who's victimized and you're constantly and see what they did and see what they did, well, they shouldn't have done that. Uh, if it becomes really a, a thing in your life, uh, then you know you're getting hit with the second arrow. Um, and yeah. it makes sense because if, especially if you were, uh, if you did suffer some sort of um, infliction and, and life will give it to you anyway. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you live long enough, it will. Um, so it, uh, it's inevitable, uh, this pain, but the suffering uh, caused by, like you said, ruminating or uh, licking that wound, uh, that part is optional. And then it becomes the duty of finding well, what to do. How do you end the, the pain of this second arrow? How to maybe pull that one out? can't undo the first one, but maybe we can undo the second one. And that's what I hope we can get into. Absolutely. Uh, I was, I was really reminded when you were, when you were saying that this, this, this image came, came back uh, of this idea. Uh, I was taking a, a class on, uh, on, 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 you know, I told you, and I've talked to the listeners, I think a couple of times I've mentioned this, that I've been working on, uh, on hypnosis. And I, you know, I've, I've since finished that. Uh, but there, I did a uh, a class on on uh, dealing with chronic pain, uh, and there was there was some some work in there that was done, uh, and, and a lot of doctors in chronic pain have have, have done a lot of studies and you know the neurological causes of pain and so on. There's this idea. This isn't exact, but there's an idea that around something like 75 percent of the pain is the emotional pain that is attached to the physical pain that really is is almost more unbearable than the physical pain itself oftentimes uh and really it you know that's a neurological thing i mean that you know doc and, and doctors oftentimes when they're trying to deal with chronic pain um you know sufferers have you know at their disposal usually painkillers and you know shots and you know uh different different types of things like uh i'm trying to think what is that hydrocortisone shots is that what they do uh, at times when there's all kinds of things there's all kinds of different things right but but you know in 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 essence oftentimes these these pains that we're carrying around that are physical even that are the physical ones and not not to not to, to mention yet the emotional stuff but a big portion of the experience of that pain you know is emotional is emotional and 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 we don't just mean emotional in the sense that you're just thinking about it but there's a re literally a physiological reaction within the body caused by the pain itself but then the fighting of the pain or the the grief that you're suffering because of the pain or the regrets you have over the decision that you know maybe the accident or you get whatever it is you know that's attached to that to that actual physical pain is is a is a big portion, like I said, maybe 70, 75% of it. And really, isn't that what the Buddha's talking about here? You know, the pain itself, like you said, life inevitably, um, 
carries with it a certain amount of pain. There's going to be some sickness. There's going to be aging. You're going to die. You know, and this is why, you know, oftentimes it's very difficult for, for people in the West to accept Buddhism. They go, oh, it's so, so pessimistic. But, it, you know, once you accept that, then it's like, well, there's, there's, there's joy in the acceptance of the fact that, look, this is just the way it is. And you can, you can try to fight it and pretend it isn't like that. Or you can accept that it's like that and you can, you can overcome your attachment to the fact that all those things, you know, inevitably will happen and you can release your, uh, you know, that 70 or 75 or 80% of the pain that you're experiencing by like having emotional reactions to the actual pains, the first arrow. So in, in a sense, like the first arrow is the, let's say in, in the case of this physical pain I'm talking about is like, you know, 25% of it. And, and the second arrow like you, you, you mentioned, you know, the, 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 the emotional and the physiological and stuff that's a sort of anti or that's, that's after it, uh, that's, you know, post, post pain, as it were, uh, is, is, you know, is a huge, is a huge portion of that. Um, you know, so that's, so that's interesting. So I, I just, I wanted, I wanted to share that. Um, let me hand it over to you. What, uh, what do you think about that? Well, it's, logical and understandable um, how the second arrow uh, would hit us. Mm. Um, it's, and it's perfectly okay. <laughs> um, uh, the point is to get in touch with that, recognize that and, and you know, work it through uh, and work it out uh, to where it isn't, um, you know, it doesn't cause a life of suffering, especially if you had uh, some trauma uh, early on. Uh, even like a divorce, some children blame themselves uh, for their parents' divorce, you know, consciously or unconsciously. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, uh, that can happen. Um, and then you can carry that around. You might not even be aware that you're carrying around this, this second era of this thing. Um, you know, it can really be an inward uh, wound uh, that persists. And it persists because it's, it doesn't get healed. Uh, it's not properly integrated. Uh, and talk about licking a wound, that's you know, literally uh, on the body, it's like a dog, that's why you give them those cones when they get a surgery, so they don't lick their wound, because if they do, not only is it gonna be dirty, uh, by keeping it moist, it's not going to heal. It'll just perpetuate. It'll be a wound for, you know, for quite some time. Um, and that's where we get the word resentment. Uh, resentiment is to feel something again and again and again. That's the second arrow. And it, like I said, it's understandable and it's you know, perfectly forgivable um, that this would happen to us or we do it to ourselves knowingly or unknowingly uh, to feel because the first arrow hurts so bad. Uh, so it's okay to have a sorrow or grieve or lament uh, or be distraught about it for a while <laughs> or for what uh, is appropriate mm -hmm. uh, belongs to that first wound but if you're carrying it around and it's holding you back in life um, if it's making um, you angry or distrusting towards other people uh, it may show up in other things you may get the feel of that second arrow from some other confrontation it doesn't even have to be from that first arrow you can find ways or they will find you um, that are coming uh, into your experience that are similar in some way to that first arrow, a betrayal, uh, a loss or something. And then you can still feel 
um, that second arrow from the first, and it, it can actually increase um, in life. Uh, so this is why we're getting, hopefully getting a handle on this, uh, mm -hmm. how it operates. Um, but there's, there's just an appropriateness, you know, of grieving. Maybe then turn that into something that's empowering. Um, if it's a loss or if it's uh, just a, you know, a dream that never came true, you know, when, when you were, you know, growing up, um, you know, you, you can lament that. You can mourn the loss. Uh, but then you have to move on. And I think those are the types of things that prevent you from getting sucked into that second arrow or maybe pulling it out if you've already been afflicted by it. That's a great point. And it's almost like you acknowledge, it's one of these things like where I think of, when you were saying that, I was thinking of like the idea of, let's say you know your 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 aunt passes away or something and you decide, well, you know, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to go to the, the funeral and you know I, I loved her so much and she was my favorite aunt and I you know I just can't I can't handle that and I'm not going to deal with it and I'm just going to go about my business and stay positive and folk I don't want to focus on death and all this so you don't go and you don't grieve and you know over time you know you you, you know you try you're trying to bury this thing and you think everything's fine and then all of a sudden you know you start falling into depressions and you don't know why and you forgot all about you know your aunt and you're not thinking about it anymore you know, and then, it, you know, then maybe, you know, you're, someone brings her up and you, then you suddenly remember her and then, it, you know, it reopens the wound. And, you know, you could go on like this for years and years and years and years because you refuse to acknowledge and to experience and just go through the grieving process. And that's, that's the first arrow. So you've taken the second arrow approach and you're just like, well, I'm going to skip over the first arrow and I'm just going to bury that first arrow, not even acknowledge that it hurt me. And I'm going to, you know, just pretend like I'm going to move on from that thing, but I'm never going to have any real closure. Uh, that's another thing you might do. Instead of licking the wounds, you try to bury it and you put it into the shadow. And I think, you know, you brought up a good point there. It's like, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's a thought came to me when, you know, when you were speaking, it's like, it's important to acknowledge and experience that that thing and give it its its due because it does you know as a human being you know we do have um, uh, natural mechanisms for for dealing with with tragedies and with losses and with pains and heartaches and so on usually it involves a certain amount of tears and a certain amount of mourning and so on but if it goes on either too long or it doesn't go on at all it hasn't been experienced properly mm -hmm. you know. The goal, I would say, might be to at one at some point. I mean, in, in Buddhism, would be to you know develop a state of equanimity where you're not really moved by those things any longer. Not in an uncaring way, but just in the sense that you know you've incorporated this idea of the transitory nature of things, and you have a compassion and love for for all beings. But you know, you know, it's our nature to you know to to you know to be born to die to be reborn because and there's that that whole idea of that cyclical nature of life so it's a little less of a sting in a sense but there's still a natural grieving process even with you know with monks you know they're sad when their masters die or their family dies you know even 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 the enlightened you know have 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 you know feelings of of grief and so on what what you know maybe there are those individuals who have transcended that I'm, I'm sure that's possible but i think you know a healthier way is 
you know, on your way to that is to say, okay, look, I acknowledge this, I experience it, I'm fully immersing myself in the pain of this situation, but I also know that it must be limited. I can't do it for the rest of my life. That's not healthy. And, you know, for example, in the case of someone dying that you love, that person would not want you to do that if they truly loved you. You know what I mean? So it's like by experiencing fully the pain of the first arrow, then the second arrow, you know, the second arrow pain then can be alleviated. Well, the second arrow is unnecessary. It's unnecessary, exactly. That's exactly and that also <laughs> begs the statement that, okay, uh, if you integrate the first wound, you don't need the second arrow. But if you don't integrate the first arrow, the second arrow becomes necessary. Mm. I'll go out on a limb and say that maybe that's why we experience this, why we have to keep it alive, is because we haven't fully acknowledged and accepted and owned uh, even our part in it, even if it was you know, something that wasn't our fault or happened when we were a child. It's like, yeah, that really happened to me. That really hurt. Yeah. Wow, you know, no wonder I was scared the next 35 years you know or whatever um you know what i mean and then then you bring it back in and it's not kind of being pushed away uh, and one example one way to kind of get to this that's i think fairly clear is when you've been wronged somebody wrongs you betrays you rips you off um insults you hurts you in some way um that you can easily say it's a lot easier to have uh, this second arrow. <laughs> it actually, it's fertile ground for the second arrow to manifest um, because you can go and see what they did and they, and they shouldn't have done that. Uh, well, if they hadn't have done this, I, you know, I'd be able to do this now. Or, well, you know, you know what they did. You know? <laughs> I mean, you can always lean on that. You can always go back to that. And, and, and it hurts, especially with somebody close to you that, that betrays you or something. Um, you can carry this around and uh, the antidote for that then becomes forgiveness. Mm. It's really hard to do when you've been wronged, uh, but it's a way of pulling out that second arrow. That's the antidote. That's the medicine for that is saying, yes, somebody did this horrible thing to me and how could they? And they were 100% wrong. <sighs> And I forgive them because I can't carry that around anymore. I have to move forward in my life. Yeah. I have to let that go. That happened in, you know, last fall or 10 years ago or whenever, mm -hmm. uh, or when I was a child and I didn't deserve it. And they scared me and they hurt me very bad and they shouldn't have done that. And nobody should ever do that. Well, that's true. Acknowledge that, own that and say, and therefore I'm moving forward <laughs> in yeah. my life, you know? So, and, and forgive them, even if they're long past, if it's something that really happened in your, uh, your history. Um, so yeah. that's a way of getting, I think in a way it's necessary that we do that. If we haven't fully entered, if we haven't fully grieved the loss, if we haven't fully forgiven the betrayal, mm -hmm. or if we haven't physically, like gone to physical therapy after we got the actual arrow stuck in us, or kitchen knife or whatever, and we don't do what the doctor rec recommends, well, you know, we're going to have that creaky shoulder the rest of our lives. Yeah. You know what I mean? You will, it's, there's, it's very physical too and physiological. And of course, you know, if something is 
felt very strongly emotionally, uh, especially over a period of time, it can show up, probably most likely does show up in the body at some point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Th- there's an interesting thing you were, you were saying there that as, a, as you were speaking, I was, I was glancing at this, um, at this sutra itself. I don't know why this, this, this popped up when, it, when you were talking. It's not exactly on the same topic. For some reason, it's like this idea of resistance really jumped out off the page at me. And so in a sense, like, you know, by not forgiving someone, there is a sort of a, there's a sort of a resistance to heal within because you, you know, and and people say, well, it's so hard to forgive. I can't forgive them for what they did. You know, the forgiveness isn't for them. It's for you. You know, you have to experience that, that forgiveness within yourself. So you don't carry around that, that, you know, that second arrow for the rest of your life. It's not for that other person. I mean, it's kind of for that other person. So you can let them go and let them, you know, go on with their, their own, you know, karmic issues. But mostly forgiveness is for you, you know, and, and, you know, you letting that go is a gift to your, to yourself. If you want to look at the kind of selfish motive behind it, because, you know, it's, there's nothing you're going to do to change the past. It doesn't matter what wrong you suffered. It doesn't matter what that a-hole did to you or, you know, what the army did to you or what, you know, the government did to you. It's, it's, you're never going to go back and change it. That's not the nature of life. So if you can't integrate and forgive in some fashion or another, you are, you know, wounding yourself with second, third, fourth, fifth arrows ad infinitum, um, you know, and, and that wound can never heal, just like you were talking about licking that wound. And, you know, there's a sort of weird, perverse pleasure in that that we can take at times. I mean, we have to be honest with ourselves. Sometimes, you know, we feel, you know, the righteous martyr, in these situations. And that's a tough one. That's a tough one to get over because it's like, I'm the victim, you know, they did this and they did that. And you want to carry it around and tell everyone your story of how you're the victim. And, you know, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of, a lot of this going on these days and we all fall prey to it at, at one time or another in our lives. And it's a, it's a, it's a tough one because we feel so justified. But again, it's, it's a second arrow sort of injuring, you know, and we're not really fully experiencing and integrating the first arrow, the real pain, and then letting that go and forgiving ourselves, or forgiving the other person or forgiving the other, you know, the institution or whatever wronged us. And, you know, we're, we're, we're just going around in, in, in that second arrow state of mind. You know, that second arrow state of mind. It's like, it's, it's this you know, we resist it, or we obsess over it, you know, and he, uh, you know, he talks about this, and, um, you know, Buddha says, um, he's talking about a noble one, you know, this is one of the noble, noble monks, as he is touched by that painful feeling, he is not resistance, no resistance obsession with regard to that painful feeling obsesses him, touched by that painful feeling, he does not delight in sensual pleasure, and that's what he's talking about. I mean, this is 2,500 years ago. We're still doing the same thing. You know, we haven't changed at all. And so that's why these ancient teachings are still as valid as ever. You know, in 2,500 years ago, people were, 
were taking delight in their own martyrdom and their own victimhood. And we, you know, again, I'm, I'm not criticizing anyone. We all do that. I do it. You do it. Everyone listening has done it or does it, um, you know, and that well, we I say some of this stuff is natural. It's acceptable. It's yeah. understandable, but you got to get a handle on it. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's exactly. And I don't say this to be critical of it. It's just, it's the, na it, it, obviously it's a problem or the Buddha wouldn't been, wouldn't have been yeah. talking about it. Right. So it's one of these things that we naturally fall into and it's, it's a trap. It's a trap of the mind. It's a trap of society. It's a trap of conditioning. You know, we think that by, by feeling righteously, uh, you know, un, um, how can I say this, uh, like a, a righteous sense of victimhood, somehow that's going to make the thing noble, or it's going to make us look like, you know, like a, like a, a shining example of victimhood or something. And then we don't have to own, you know, the, the things that we do or say to other people, because, well, I can, you know, I can get away with snapping at people at work because I'm a victim because my boss did this to me. And, you know, it can become an excuse and a crutch and all these different things. So you just, you really do have to see this clearly and notice the what the first arrow is. Like, why do I feel? What event happened or what started off these series of events and kind of chain it back and see if you can discover where that original arrow was. So if, you know, if you're middle age or something, or even if you're in your late 20s, early 30s, and you got plenty of these arrows, you know, stuck in your, stuck in your body right? I mean, we, we gather them up, don't we? Uh, so, you know, if you can kind of chain them back and think about like, where, you know, where did this start? You know, what does this make me think of? And you think, well, he this, you know, my boss said this to me. And, you know, that reminds me of the time my dad did this, or my mom did that, or my, my, you know, my cousin did this to me, or, you know, my grandfather was, you know, really shitty to me on this camping trip and, you know, locked me out side the cabin because I wouldn't, you know, gut a fish properly, whatever. I mean, some, something comes to your head of, or, and then, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're the, the outsider and the one who, you know, who, you know what I mean? It's, 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 if you can, I feel like if you can kind of chain back these, these feelings sometimes to the, to the original arrow, you can really alleviate a lot of the second arrow suffering that you're, that you're going through. And that may be holding you back from actual integration and actual change because you're not accepting and dealing with and integrating that first pain. You're just kind of going through secondary pains and re-wounding re yourself over and over and over again without accepting. And that's where this resistance thing is. You're not accepting the fact that this thing happened, that's the way it is, and there's nothing you're going to do about it. And you have to forgive yourself and forgive whatever you know, entity wronged you and move on because in the end that's i mean that's all there is i mean that's you know it's hard it's not it doesn't seem fair it, it doesn't you know it's not fair in a lot of ways but it's just the way it is and that's you know that's where buddhism is very practical it's very practical you know and this is one of those times where it's like this kind of is a very hard-hitting message that sometimes we don't want to hear but we have to we have to really do some deep deep thinking on and some deep meditation on to, to get to the bottom of this stuff. Right? Well, we do. And, and sometimes that can, you know, can be a process because we get kind of caught up in the form of the arrow, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, you know, I know somebody who's on this <laughs> third marriage and, um, you know, 
even though completely different uh, girl as the second wife, um, same relationship, same as the first. We get caught up in, in the form of to try to trace it back. Oh, this one's so much different. It's like, well, on the outside, maybe it is, but it's the same thing again. So whatever this current arrow is, if you can find, if there's something current, um, and I can just take something from my life right now. It happened tonight before, you know, we had a call before the podcast and I, I was venting about some, you know, communication error I had earlier and I felt this and it, it conjured this and I was really surprised at my reaction to it. Yeah, I felt something was wrong and it was mishandled and I had the right to say something about it. But what I was feeling was way beyond what, what the issue was. Um, and it had brought up an earlier arrow, so to speak. Um, so I think we can, we can conjure these things up. They, they will reappear, uh, maybe in a completely different context. But what that did is that took me back um, to my father was something that happened 20 years ago, and he's been dead now for two years. Um, and it's like, oh my gosh, that this thing con triggered or conjured this up because it's very similar um, in some way. So uh, as we're working towards maybe this initial wound, uh, you can look at the current wound or the way this wound is playing out. And uh, because it is going to be like, in some way, the initial one, that's why it there's this connection. So mm -hmm. work on the one in front of you, um, but work at the, the level of, okay, what does this mean? What is this like? Uh, if it's very specific, um, like somebody didn't tell me where they were gonna to be tomorrow, and I was the last to know, and I felt out of the loop, um, how does it go from that um, to um, the way my father ignored me 20 years ago was something very important. Um, is that those things are similar. It's like a metaphor, you know, they, they are like one another. And what is that like? What's the base thing? It's not the specific thing that happened with the conversation or something that happened long ago. Uh, it's that they both felt uh, or put me in a position where I felt I wasn't being heard or what, uh, you know, mattered to me wasn't important <laughs> to somebody else. Uh, yeah. So, and then it's like, oh, okay. Well, then now we're dealing with something on a more universal or archetypal level, not the specific level of what is this arrow and this exact arrow that somebody did this exact thing. It's what did that thing make you feel? How did that thing um, hurt your self-confidence, um, your uh, safety, um, your sense of self, your spirit, uh, your wallet, you know, whatever, however that hurt you. So look on, on that level of how it's hurting you, not just the form um, of the particular uh, situation that brings it up. That makes sense. So, no, yeah, absolutely. So you're, you're looking at the, the, the current experience and then you're looking at, you know, you've, you, we, we chain, chain that back, let's say to, the, to a past experience that seems, seems related and seems like the original, uh, original era, right? And then we're trying to figure out like, okay, what is the, what's the archetypal similarity here, I guess, right? Or what's the linking, the linking feeling or linking emotional state or the linking idea in this that kind of triggers this original pain, right? And then kind of, and then after that saying to ourselves, okay, and also now that I see that connection, 
how am I continuing to reopen this wound with the think, with the thinking, the emotions, the self-recriminations, the angers, the frustrations that I'm carrying around after the little event happened that that you know that triggered that? Um, how am I? How am I? How am I second arrowing myself also? You know, so they're all. It's all kind of a chain of a chain of cause and effect, isn't it? They're all linked together. Um, and I, I, it, it feels to me like if you can stop the pattern, you know, the automatic behavior and kind of step outside yourself for a second and look at it and then kind of go, okay, where's the, where's the, is this a second arrow thing? Or is this a first arrow thing? And, and you know, wh where am I at in this, in this, in this phase? Just the sort of like depersonalizing of it like that, where you step outside of yourself and make it a little more objective, that gives you some leverage on it, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. You're not so mired in it. Yeah. And you can almost scientifically observe it mm -hmm. and say, wow, like my friend, you know, <laughs> got married a bunch of times. It was finally when he went to therapy and uh, on the third round, he goes, oh my God, I, I married the same woman three times. Um, completely different girls, but it was the same dynamic. So whatever he needed to, to work through, um, because that's how we can really see these things. If there is a pattern, I always get triggered by this type of a thing. I don't know why every time I see this image or whatever, um, if something comes up or, hey, I'm fine, I'm confident in this, I'm really secure in you know, how I handle myself at work. Um, but boy, you talk about this and you know, I melt down to a puddle. Um, it's, look at those things, things that are kind of repetitive that show up, here it is again, geez. You know, the guys in the band won't listen to me. My boss doesn't, you know, like my ideas. And, you know, my kids don't respect me. You know, it's like, what? You know, it can kind of snowball in. But maybe there's, maybe you don't feel like you're being heard uh, if that's a thing. And then, then how can you have, you know, then get square with yourself? Yeah. But you know what? My voice is important. Because all this stuff is kind of externally motivated. Mm -hmm. um, I like what you're saying about trying to, pull yourself away from this pattern and just observe it like, oh, this is what's going on there. I seem to have a, a tendency. <laughs> and, and we often find ourselves saying, why do I attract these relationships? Why do I attract this, you know, this type of a dynamic or situation again? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, or getting some business deal that I'm just going to get you know, ripped off by my partner, or it's, you know, it happened before, happened three times before, well, why wouldn't it happen again? Um, you know, it's that we need to, there's something in that we need to solve, because we keep getting the puzzle um, presented to us again and again, yeah. uh, through this second arrow. Uh, but we become mired in it, and then we think that this second arrow is the thing, but that's really almost like a symptom uh, pointing towards something else, and to back away from it. And look at it and so okay pull myself out it's like yeah this hurts but what's going on here you know why did i have a meltdown at the dinner table <laughs> or something that wasn't really that big of a deal but it you know you know it's like ask yourself what's going on you know with that yeah uh, and observe it and wait you know wait for the answer get quiet with it and it's like what do i need to know what is this telling me uh, how can i uh, not the specific but in the general more universal sense. Um, what is this? You know, ask, ask what it wants. Yeah. Okay, you got me. You know, you're poking me for the last ten, you know, twenty years 
okay, what, what can I do? How can I help you? What do we need to do to, to heal this wound? Yeah, I, I, as you were saying that, I was reminded of the idea of, 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 of active imagination, that Jungian tool um, that, uh, that Robert Johnson uh, explains so well in, uh, uh, in his book, uh, uh, Inner Work, uh, Inner Work. And um, that, uh, that um, the technique really is to, to sort of depersonalize the, the feeling and, um, you know, to be able to sort of communicate with it uh, in a way, almost in an objective way. So something within yourself um, is, it, you know, you sort of, for lack of a better word, you, you, you personalize it. And, um, you know, it may be, it may be an emotion, it may be a part of yourself, it might be something and you, 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 you turn it into a, you know, you concretize it as it were, if it were, you know, fear or anger, or, you know, this, that all, this thing that always happens when XYZ happens, whatever, however you want to label it. And you literally will have an, you know, an imaginary active conversation with it. You could do it on paper. You can do it in your own mind. Some people paint it. Some people dance it out or express it in some physical way. Um, but, you know, you, you, you depersonalize that thing that, you know, it's really that's that, that kind of that first arrow or even that second arrow wounding. And you, you literally speak to it. You know, what is it that I need to know? What are you trying to tell me? What is going on? Why am I so angry? You know, what in me is, is, is so frustrated right now? Or who in me is so frustrated? And literally just sit there and listen and wait for an answer. And sometimes it, it seems strange. But the more you do it, uh, it becomes more like an exercise, like when you, for example, when you first start writing and you have, you know, it's very difficult to have, you know, to, to do dialogue when you first start writing. And then as you write more and more and more, literally these characters will just speak up and they'll have their own way of speaking and their own, you know, quirky diet, like sort of words that they use and so on. And it almost, be, you know, they come alive as it were, right? The same thing goes on within yourself. You know, these characters, the more that you interact with them, these different parts of yourself, um, they, they, they come alive and you're able to, you know, you're able to dialogue with them. And that's really the, the gist of active imagination. Uh, again, that Robert Johnson book, Inner Work, is a, is a great uh, introduction to this topic. And uh, I highly suggest that. It's, it's out of the scope of the, the Buddhist work, but it, isn't, but it isn't really. I mean, Buddhism has its meditation that it uses. It doesn't really personalize things like that, but it, you know, in its own intellectual and sort of emotional way, uh, it, it, it addresses issues the same way, you know, it objectifies these things going on within ourselves so that we can get leverage, um, you know, and I'm reminded of mindfulness meditation as an example, uh, where you're just watching the thoughts come and go, and you, you know, you allow yourself to, to detach from the feelings associated with those thoughts, or the anger at yourself for those thoughts, or images, or, you know, sexual fantasies, or whatever's popping up while you're meditating, and you almost just let them go like they're, you know, uh, like a, a cloud kind of going across the sky. You acknowledge it, you recognize it's there, and you sort of let it go. Um, you know, but the, you know, the, the, the Jungian way is, is a little more active. You know, you're actually kind of wrestling with it a little bit, like Jacob wrestling the angel, in a sense, you know. You're wrestling it for a blessing, as it were. You know, you won't let it go until it gives you a blessing. Uh, if you're familiar with that story of Jacob, 
Um, you know what I mean? Does that, does that, does that resonate? Well, it is. And you're getting, you know, you're getting to the core of it. Yeah. You know, uh, that's why I, you know, said earlier that these, the second arrow might be necessary if you haven't integrated the first. Uh, so it's, you know, it's, it's a bad thing in a way, but it's something that reminds you it keeps, uh, it keeps it alive or it keeps it present uh, to where you, if we can get to this point, to where you can deal with it, you're really going to find the gift in it. You know, we've talked about alchemy in, in podcasts where you, know, you transmute something, you take something that in and of itself doesn't really look all that good, maybe isn't all that valuable. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's something you throw away. Um, uh, but you take this lead and through refining it and twisting it and burning it and dissolving it and smoking it and all these things, it becomes this gold, this untarnishable. You can smoke lead? I well, just, you know, it's uh, yeah. well with, with, wood, with wood chips and the barbecue. <laughs> we're gonna work, you want to work your way up to it. It's, it's mesquite. It's mesquite yeah. smoking. It's we're not actually. We recommend that. I think there's yeah lead poisoning. Yeah, it's poisonous. Yeah. Actually, that's something to think of in alchemy yeah. too. You Absolutely. know, from lead gold, it's, it's it's also poisonous. So, Absolutely. really, not a great thing. This lead, but it is it is through and from and because of this lead that the gold is able to be extracted and refined and sure. uh, transmuted. It becomes that. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a good So this pain, even if this first arrow, maybe you can do something with that. Um, or some injustice you suffered uh, as a young person. Well, you know, you can work towards making it easier for young people to, you know, have a safe haven from a similar thing so they don't suffer um, as you have. Yeah, I, I, you know, I mean, that sounds very direct, but uh, but either way, that you overcame adversity, even just looking at it in a general sense, it's like, well, geez, maybe I can share my story or help others to, to do the same. Um, you know, then it, then it becomes gold. Yeah, exactly. You're actually healing with something that hurt you. And then you become the wounded healer, which is, you know, really at the core of shamanism that you have to be at least touched a little bit by the affliction um, you know, before you can actually administer a healing because yeah. they don't really know it. And that helps you don't get a big dose of it, but you get at least a touch of it because then you know, you really know how it works and how to work through it. Uh, so it's yeah, chemical yeah. gold, you can make something really good and then you own it, you know? And I think that's um, where, it becomes so repetitive is because we deny it and it keeps coming back and says, Hey, what about me? What about me? Remember this? Ah, how about this? Remember that feeling? Um, because it hasn't been accepted, especially in a betrayal because you say he shouldn't have done that. Um, I can't believe uh, the way she treated her. Uh, I can, you know what I mean? You, you, you use the language of yeah. non-acceptance. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's really ingrained in it. And then we seek revenge, like in the movies, you know, you have the movie fantasy of, you know, Charles Bronson, you know, walking down the city and uh, streets and, you know, cleaning yeah. up the neighborhood with the shotgun um, so, or wherever it goes, you know, but, but this is really taking, uh, taking ownership of that. 
even if it was just a horrible thing that happened to you when you were completely innocent and didn't deserve it, it's like, well, that did happen to me. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm okay now. Well, and there's, there's something you said too, uh, back a, a while ago that, that, that kind of was brought back to my attention. It's like, it's this idea of, you know, these things keep coming up oftentimes because you, you haven't learned the lesson. Mm-hmm. You know, you need to learn something and there's something you need to overcome in there, a specific thing. Forget the general, you know, idea here that we're talking about of the, the first, you know, the first arrow and the second arrow. That's sort of a general principle. But then there's also the very specific sort of karmic lessons, let's call them, that you need to learn in this specific lifetime uh, that come up over and over again and give you an opportunity to learn what you need to learn. Um, you know, it, it doesn't seem fun and you don't like it coming up over and over again, but it's something that obviously is doggedly following you uh, and needs your attention and needs us to be solved in some way or another, right? So, you know, in, in even if it's just to learn the lesson that, you know, hey, I don't want to, um, you know, put myself in that position and, you know, naively think that everyone has my best interest at heart or, you know, or even that, oh, you know, I'm assuming that everybody out there is a, is a terrible person and I can't trust anyone. You know, neither, you know, neither is, is true. You know, you've got to find that middle ground. And this, again, is a very Buddhist idea. It's like there are, you know, there are beautiful people out there and most people have your best interest at heart. But there are also some malevolent individuals out there that just don't have your best interest at heart. And that's their nature. You know, it's like a, they're like a, a scorpion in a sense, and that's just what they do. Um, you know, and so you have to learn to recognize those sorts of things and not put yourself in harm's way. And that's a lesson in life as well. It's like, you know, and say, oh, I, all, this always happens to me. Well, why do you always put yourself in that situation and allow yourself to be taken advantage of like that? That's a question you have to ask yourself, because oftentimes that's what we're doing. You know, it, it, we feel like a victim and we feel like it's out of our control. But when we really examine it, we're like, well, you know, at the beginning of it, I did kind of feel like this was just like, you know, when Tom did that to me two years ago. It, it really did kind of seem exactly the same way. But I, I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt. And it's like, well, you know, if that's happened four or five times. And, you know, if it, if it looks like a duck, you know, sounds like a duck. Yeah, it might be a duck. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's that's it. That's another lesson to learn. Sometimes we want to play the innocent victim, and really, it's like we're just being naive and blind, and that's not good. You know. And then the opposite is also true. It's like, well, everybody's out to get me, and you know, you're a paranoid, and you can't trust anyone, and you've got to go to your lawyer for every single thing, and have a 25-page agreement with any person you deal with, and you know, and and an ironclad, you know. Insurance policy against X Y Z and you know the sky falling and you know what I mean. Oh, I've known people like that. (laughs) So you know, although you know, there's something to again, there's something to being prepared and to you know, and to being clear about dealing with people and making you know, and making you know, clear business you know points uh you know between the parties and so on that those are those are good things to do as well but again the middle path you know not too much and not too little uh and that's again a very a very buddhist idea a very buddhist idea there's a balance and an equanimity of with life it's like okay i recognize that life carries a certain amount of pain 
Um, you know, life is suffering, as it said in Buddhism. But at the same time, you, you know, you don't walk around feeling depressed all the time. I mean, look at the, the Dalai Lama as a good example of Buddhists. And the Tibetan Buddhists are like a prime example of the joy and the compassion and the, and the, the real vitality that um, is possible once you kind of incorporate and integrate the, the pain of life. And don't and and you and you accept that, and then in accepting it, you transcend it. That's the real beauty, and that's that alchemical gold. And by the way, going back to you talking about alchemy, our, that that title, the title of that one was called Alchemical Gold. If if the if the listeners have not heard that one yet, uh, that's one of our that's our previous podcast on 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 that gold transmutation idea, um, right? So so you can take that pain and then literally transmute it into joy. Um, you can take the sorrow and transmute it into, into, you know, into happiness. And, and, you know, and it's not like you're just putting on a fake smile. You literally have turned that painful experience into something, something beautiful, into a beautiful piece of art or into, you know, like you said, taking something that happened to you maybe and trying to prevent that from happening to someone else. Like the, you know, the founders of AA as an example, or that woman who, uh, who lost her son, I believe it was, in, a, in an, uh, a drunk driving accident, started Mothers Against Drunk Driving, and really brought attention to the fact that people were driving impaired. I mean, in the 70s and even into the 80s and early 90s, I mean, it really, you know, drunk driving was just kind of a thing you did. You know, nobody anymore thinks like, oh, God, I'm going to go out and get really hammered and drive around. I mean, I shouldn't say nobody does, but most people know that's not a good thing. There was a time when we didn't realize that. It's just like, oh, that's what you do. You get, you get, you get messed up and you drive home. If, you, if you're not passed out, you know, and you, can, you know, and you can still see and you're not seeing double A, drive home. You, you know what I mean? And so, you know, that woman who lost her son, and she really said, look, this is not a good thing here. We need to take a look at this. I mean, people are driving around and they're taking people's lives in their hands and not just their own, but others. You know, so she took that that very painful experience, that tragic experience, and turned it into something that saved lives, right? So, you know, it, it's possible to transmute that experience into something, something noble, something valuable for others, something, you know, like a book or, a, you know, a, a film or, or an album or something that, you know, that how many painful love experiences turn into a, into a you know, a hit song? All of them? <laughs> You know, yeah, well, if it wasn't for breakups, you know, <laughs> about half the pop songs would never have been written. Never, they'd never exist, would they? Yeah. So, you know, those are all those are all great examples of that. Well, I think we're kind of coming to the end of this. Do you do you have any wrap ups or anything we, we missed? Well, I think it's where this led uh, and wound up is yeah. at acceptance, acceptance and really. Uh, very deep integration of the first arrow. Um, not to deny it, not to say I can't believe this happened. It did happen. <laughs> yep. You know, and really to own it, and wear it like a badge of of honor uh, or a scar that you can tell a story about, uh, whether it is actually physical um, or you know deeply, deeply emotional. Uh, or even just the the little ones that life <laughs> gives us yeah. um, all the time, you know, um, really own some of these things and uh, they won't crop up again and again. Um, it's, 
you know, there's a great movie, um, Beautiful Mind, uh, where uh, this mathematician suffers um, some hallucinations and some mental breakdowns and, uh, and things like that. And there were characters, uh, there were three of them actually that came up and uh, they would appear, you know, it'd be eating lunch somewhere and it's like, ah, and then, okay, now he's talking to this, you know, 12 year old girl. Now he's talking to this, you know, buddy from college. And they would just kind of show up, especially at, you know, really at the wrong time. Uh, but, it, and he kind of denied them and pushed them out. And, uh, but when he got in tune with them through therapy, he was, they were still there. Uh, but he confronted them and says, look, I can no longer carry you. Okay. He actually, you know, spoke to them directly, uh, or at least in his mind he was. And then towards the end of the movie, or at the end, uh, rather, uh, they're still there, but they're, they're sitting off like, you know, a few rows up in the auditorium and they're, you know, behave, they're, they're across the hallway. They're not jumping out at them or anything like that. They were still there, but because they were acknowledged and said and directly uh, and said, this can no longer, you, you no longer have you know, a place in my life. Uh, thank you. I let you go. <laughs> I release you. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's accepting, but then once you fully accept something, that's how you actually release it. It's a little bit of a paradox, um, but by fully owning it and fully integrating it, then it's released. And the attachment and uh, the you know, emotional connection to it is gone as well. You know, there's no strings, you know, the, the slings of the arrows are, are gone, so to speak. Yeah. So to, to great, great point, thank you. Um, so to kind of recap and sort of reiterate this idea, just to, just to leave you with this. So the first arrow, you know, is that painful, those painful experiences in life that are somewhat in inevitable, let's call them. Uh, the, the second arrow is the arrow that you inflict on yourself and those are entirely, um, you know, of your own choice. And, and you know, this is where those ones are optional, as you said at the beginning. Uh, so the first arrows, you know, these are the things that life throws at us. These are the things that, that are unfair. And these are the things that, um, you know, just come at us that we weren't expecting. Um, you know, COVID and, you know, a business downturn or, you know, a, a, a depression hits us that, you know, and we don't see a cause of something like this or, you know, some kind of um, illness or something, you know, whatever it is. These are the things that are the first arrow um, are, are, reaction to resistance of resistance you know to uh, fighting uh, the you know the pain and the sort of um, self-recrimination the guilt the ideas of revenge you want to get on other people all those things are second arrow wounds and those are the things you really have a lot of control over and they said you know neurologically speaking like with pain for example maybe you know 70 maybe 75 percent even of the pain is that emotional content and it's real physiological pain that you're experiencing it's not just in the mind i mean the mind and body are working together so it's not like oh you know it's it's something you're imagining or whatever it's a real thing but it has a psychosomatic source it's that second arrow that's the origin of of much of that you know exacerbated physical pain let's say or even exacerbated emotional pain is the is the second arrow stuff so we want you to make this distinction between those two things try to chain back you know the second arrow to the first arrow and then maybe even 
that first arrow of pain, that, that experience that you had, that trigger, whatever, really try to chain it back to maybe something, you know, in childhood or some kind of, you know, if, you know, even if you can't get back to it, it doesn't matter, but you try, you know, try to see if there's an antecedent sort of experience uh, that that's linked to, you know, and you can also use some of the, um, like we talked about, the active imagination stuff. Uh, and so forth. So those are some ideas to deal with this idea of the second, the second arrow. So we are thankful to Buddhist teaching for, uh, you know, for providing us with this. And thank you, Chris, for for this great topic. We appreciate you sharing your personal stuff and and bringing this topic to light for us. Well, thank you. And I want to at least mention uh, the podcast of Tara Brock, T A R A B R A C H. Uh, she's a great uh, speaker, uh, meditation teacher. Uh, and she talks a lot about uh, the second arrow. I would recommend her podcast to anybody who listens to this one, um, just because she's cool. Uh, and, and Alan Watts also has mentioned the the second arrow. So I was inspired by some people I like to listen to, um, and it just seemed very relevant. So I'm glad we got to talk about it. Fantastic! It was it was a pleasure. Thank you, man. All right, so that is going to do it for today. Thank you again for joining us here on the Cosmic Eye Show on. Uh, on this beautiful Sunday. Uh, we wish you uh, a great week, uh, much success, health, happiness out there. We're praying for you. I uh, know it's a challenging time, uh, but we are, we are here for you each week. And if you, you know, if you want us to talk about anything that's uh, on your mind, please hit us up at info at cosmic org, uh, or through the anchor app. You can actually call through that uh, anchor app. If you have that, uh, if you use that, uh, and I would recommend it actually, it's, it's a neat app. Uh, so um, we will be here again uh, uh, next. We'll be here next Friday with a new uh, Emmett Fox show. Uh, we're at uh, CosmicEye.org. Uh, you can make a donation at Anchor.fm/CosmicEye. Chris's book is *The Spirit in the Sky*, and mine is *If You Can Worry, You Can Meditate*. Uh, so join us again each week uh, on Sundays and Fridays. Thank you again. Have a great week. Goodbye. God bless. <laughs>